Chapter 24 The Fine Art of Negotiation Gladiator closed the holographic com and set it aside. They have agreed. He spoke slowly and deliberately, making certain all present understood the gravity of his words. The builder will accept one man to negotiate an end to hostilities, for the captain was right to sue for peace. Yet I do not trust them. I don't think any of us should. I have looked into the eyes of many beings that wanted to kill me, and I do not think any peace gained is for the long term. They want to eliminate us. Of course they do, Captain America said. Yeah? Captain Marvel looked at him and frowned. Then what are we doing here, Steve? Look at the board, Carol. Captain America gestured to the map that floated above the council table. The victory changed nothing. We remain outgunned, outnumbered, and fractured. They've taken so many worlds that we've lost the only real advantage we ever had. We're outmanned. So why are we still going to meet with them, even though we know they will meet with ill intent? He looked at Gladiator, and then it clicked. Because there's really only one move we have left. We surrender. Clert snorted. Gladiator didn't respond. I didn't say it would stick, gentlemen, Captain America continued. But it's an excuse to get close. It's the only chance we have that doesn't involve chasing after the Builder fleet or just hoping it will all go away. While the others discussed the turn of events, Carol Danvers pulled Captain America aside, as far from the rest as they could get. Have you taken a good look around? She murmured softly. I see people on the verge of breaking. We can't take much more. No, we can't, he agreed, his expression unreadable. So the next question is, is this going to work? The answer is, it has to. She was about to speak when Gladiator called from across the room. Captain, he said, looking at a communications unit. It's done. Ronan called them together. Charn, the accuser, was not amused. Ridyu, the accuser, was outraged. Memorak, the accuser, argued with him until he pulled rank and demanded that they remember his place and submit to orders. None of them were happy. Neither was Ronin. Still, it was his duty, and so he did it. He called the accuser corps to order, and they in turn made certain the grounds of the cathedral were full to overflowing. As this was accomplished, the creator was in discussion with his peers in the fleet. Events unfold, builders. The rebel worlds have requested a negotiation to offer an end to hostilities. Do these overtures have merit? One of the holograms replied. Ronan did not understand the creature's hierarchy. All of the different species he'd seen, and a few more besides, were represented in the projections that had responded. The message comes from Astrontian, a subspecies of the Shi'ar whose genetics exist within our Xenobase. Markers imply truthfulness. Subtext indicates more. Then accept the diplomat, another replied. Demand terms that properly leverage survival and longevity in the local sphere should they comply with simple terms of surrender. A third builder added, We will drop the interference with their system-wide communication network. We will omnicast the end of the nuisance, the better to end all further resistance. Agreed, the bug that currently held sway over Hala replied. You provide the platform. I will deliver the lesson. The images faded with a wave of its hand, 
and it turned to address the accuser. You have summoned all that I requested, Ronan? I have. The highborn, the blues, the pinkskins, military and political classes, all have been summoned as you requested. You have called forth your judges. Yes. The accusers are here. All of them. Then summon the rebel diplomat. Let's have an end to this. Let the rebel come and bend a knee for all of Hala and all of the universe to see. For you to witness, Ronan. This will be the greatest day in the history of the Cree. They will surrender to me and to my new empire. All of our hopes resting on the shoulders of one person. Clerk spoke softly as the emissary left them and descended toward the planet below. Our future's all dependent on surrender. His voice was a low rumble, the promise of a storm still building. Is this how far we've fallen? What does pride earn us now, warlord? Gladiator replied. The time for debate has ended. We cannot win, regardless of how badly we might wish for battle. For now we appear strong and beg for time. The good captain has made his case, and we both agreed. The shuttle has landed. Captain America watched the screen that stood before them. He's ready to begin negotiations. He barters for us all, Captain, Gladiator said. Despite his earlier words, he sounded dubious. You're sure you sent the right person? Of that I have no doubt. I sent my best negotiator. Clert growled. Well, you wanted to barter from a position of strength. The escort sent for the emissary was a large one, as befitted either a serious threat or an honored guest. The bug would see it whatever way it wanted, but as far as Ronan was concerned, the negotiator, whoever it was, should be treated as an honored guest. Whoever came had held out against surrender far longer than the Cree, and that said a great deal. A small smile played at his lips when he saw the Asgardian. Thor, the god of thunder among his people, walked with squared shoulders and head held high. The hammer gripped in his hand, swayed. Casually. The guard moved with him, but Ronan could hardly blame the ones that looked nervous. His abilities were well known among the Cree, as he had helped defeat them on several occasions. The strongest soldiers could stand only for so long against a hurricane, and spears of lightning tended to melt armor to flesh. The council might be there to surrender, but they intended to do so from a position of strength. Ronan walked closer and blocked the Asgardian as he stepped up to the dais. He pressed one hand against the Asgardian's chest and felt the powerful heartbeat that resided there. Unarmed, my friend, he said. The builders have seen you in action, and they recognize formidable when it appears before them. Thor looked at him, and Ronin steeled himself. Then the Thunder God nodded, speaking softly as he held Mjolnir close to his face. Hear me, Father. Am I worthy? If so, may I find your favor this day. See my heart, not just my hand. Then he drew back and hurled the warhammer upward into the air. Ronin watched until Mjolnir was no longer even a speck. I was requested then. Thor smiled, though there was no humor in the expression, and held up his empty hands. Unarmed, 
he looked directly at the bug. Shall we haggle now like weak men? The bug looked at him, and when it spoke, it managed a sound that was nearly contemptuous, despite the lack of recognizable facial expression. You think there is a bargain to be had here? No, there is no bargain. It stepped closer to the Asgardian and looked up slightly into the blue eyes of a god. I understood that so you rebels might survive and your worlds remain unraised. You would be surrendering this day. Was I ill-informed? Was I misled? Thor's smile dropped away, and his brow furrowed as he considered the creature before him. His expression said all that it needed to, that he faced little more than, well, a bug. Your understanding of the matter is not wrong. I am here to officially end hostilities by surrendering the field to you. He looked the creator over as one might a thing to be stepped on. But I will be demanding assurances. It is wise to ask, but less so to demand. Assurances, you say? The builder leaned in. Come closer. Thor obliged. The creator backhanded the golden-haired Avenger hard enough to make him twist and move back half a step. Ronan knew exactly how impressive that display of strength was, and his every muscle went tense. You will submit or perish, the creator said. You will kneel, or your fellow warriors will lose all they hold dear. All that is left is surrender. On your knees, Thor slowly wiped at his mouth, as if to wipe away the taste of the contact with the insect. His eyes locked on the red orbs of the creature's eyes, but the thunder god did not blink. Throughout the known universe, the builders boosted the live footage, showing one of their own striking a god and making demands. The members of the Galactic Council watched from the Lilandra, aboard other ships, or from their home planets. The Kree all watched, the Supremor, the Royals, the Pinks, and the Accuser Corps. All bore witness to the slap and to Thor's response. Slowly, as if it caused him great pain, Thor of Asgard lowered to the ground and took a knee. The creator loomed over him and looked down. There, it said. This is good. Does it not suit you better? Is this not your natural state? Thor did not reply. His expression was obscured in shadows. You have saved so very many by yielding here today, the bug continued. But you should know that you have not saved the earth. There is no saving that world. We will reduce it to atoms, burnt to nothing with the power of a thousand suns. He bent closer. As he spoke, spittle came from beneath his mandibles and fell onto the helmet of a god. And do you know why? it asked. Humanity is a plague, not just to this galaxy or even to this universe. It is a sickness that exists in every universe that has been or ever will be. Still Ronan did not move. He wanted to, oh, 
how he loathed to watch a proud warrior kneel before the insect that now loomed over Thor. Humanity is a festering wound that must be cauterized, a blight on the great canvas that is everything. The insect's voice very nearly vibrated with an anger the face could not show. Your victory here is hollow, human. Others will live, but your kind will die with you. And you dare think it could have ended any other way? Thor looked up, his face unreadable. Humanity should have the good sense to know their story is over. Mankind should know they are done. Thor's eyes found the red orbs, and he smiled. It was a cold thing, a slice of ice in the night. And what if I am not just a man? Achtung! Far above the Krelar Cathedral, a peal of thunder rippled through the air. There was silence, then the sound of rushing air, growing louder. Something was moving very fast. What? The creator looked up. A point of light appeared, a glowing contrail stretching out behind it. Before it could react, however, Mjolnir returned from the heavens, carrying with it the fires from its trip around the sun. Thor began to rise, even as the hammer slammed through the creator from behind and erupted from its chest. He caught it with a smooth, easy motion, ignoring the heat of the thing, and the blood baked onto it. Its entire midsection, a gaping hole, green ichor pouring out. The creator fell forward onto its hands and knees. It struggled to rise as Thor stood above it. You don't understand, it said. This, this means... Everything dies. You first. Thor brought his hammer down on the thing's head. It shattered in a spray of chitinous armor and green slime. As the thunder god stood, the Ico dripped from his weapon. He looked at Ronin. It was rare to see the god of thunder kill. In that moment, he understood how very merciful Thor had been to the Kree over the years. Above this world are free men and women fighting for the people throughout the galaxy. The Asgardian spoke with calm. Those who would die before yielding their liberty to a harness. Are you a free man, Ronan? There was no hesitation in the answer. Yes. Thor continued. And are there other free men and women in this hall as well? Those who would stand and be counted, who would fight until they fall, or are victorious? There are. Thor stared hard into his eyes. And call them out, accuser. There is a battle waiting for the righteous. Ronan looked around the cathedral. It was utterly silent. He ignored the Supremor, whose containment bath towered behind him, the very being that had surrendered to the enemy. Thor held his hammer. It was a weapon worthy of a warrior. Ronan held a hammer as well. It, too, was a weapon worthy of a warrior. He was a warrior. He felt a moment of shame for letting himself forget that fact, however briefly and for whatever possible good reasons. Then he raised his hammer over his head and looked out over the congregation of the Cree. Accuse us! he bellowed. Are you with me? As one, the accusers raised their hammers and roared their affirmation. It echoed off the walls of Krelar Cathedral, where the accusers led, the Cree would follow. Then a voice rose over the sounds of cheering. This victory means nothing. Ronan turned and looked at the supreme intelligence. A computer imbued with the memories of the long dead, it had ruled for centuries, yet it did not have the passion 
or the honor needed to rule properly. The truth was simple enough to see. The Supremor kept him close so it could keep him on a leash. The thought enraged him and assaulted his sense of honor. This changes nothing, the damned computer said. They are still legion. The forces of the Galactic Council are shattered. All that has happened here is a blight on Hala, one that we must hope the builders do not see the need to remove forever. Supremor, Ronin spoke as calmly and as reasonably as he could under the circumstances. His passion was refueled. The need for honor and glory was a song within him, and the machine had tried to quell that. We are a mighty people. We are warriors who have conquered a galaxy. We have been given a second chance to show the universe what we truly are. We must take it. He looked into the eyes of the supreme intelligence. They were not Cree eyes. They were incapable of understanding the complexities of the Cree heart. We must take this opportunity, he continued. Our honor demands it. I do not care for performances, accuser. The Supremor responded. This is not some great play acted out on the stage called The Universe. Your honor means nothing. His ears rang. His blood surged. Still, Ronan held himself steady, as the Supremor was not yet finished presenting its case. It stared down from above, a vast thing, bloated on its own self-importance. Against the long history of our people that I carry in my memories, you are nothing... Those words burned him and marked him with shame. You are all nothing. What are a billion lives against the trillions spanning the long chronicle of our people? What good is a moment when compared to all of our history? When he spoke again, Ronan's voice shook with the cold pit of rage that had replaced his heart. This moment, Supremo, this moment is everything. He lifted his hammer high above his head and brought it down upon that smug face, shattering the tank that kept the thing safe and secure. The nutrient bath exploded outward, and the organic computer shrieked as it started to bleed. The accuser watched the vast face of the ruler of the Kree Empire as it wailed and shook, eyes wide with a real emotion for the first time in gods alone knew how long. The supreme intelligence knew fear. This is our moment. Chapter 25 War Among the Stars A victory in battle seldom guaranteed a victory in war. That simple fact haunted the Galactic Council. Though the Kree had reunited with their forces, there were planets aplenty the Builders had taken. Those planets needed the same chance to break free. The first was Chimelia III. An army of Alephs waited there, mining the planet for its abundant resources and forcing the Chimelians to act as little more than slaves. The mechanical overlords did not anticipate the arrival of Ronin and his accusers, nor were they prepared for the Kree's savagery in battle. On Centauri IV, the unexpected aid came in the form of the surviving Knights of Galador. Their home was gone, destroyed by the builders, but the space knights who survived did not retire to the shadows. There was still an enemy who had to pay for the sins they'd committed, and that payment could come in the form of blood. On Corm Prime, the Skrull warlords drove away the builders, but it was not an easy battle. Many of the shape-changers lost their lives. Even so, 
None paid as heavily as the Shi'ar, who often battled alongside the Avengers. They won the fight on Rigel, but lost a great many of their ships in the process. More died on Formahout, including three of the Imperial Guard, yet the Builders were prevented from taking the planetary system. Avengers and Shi'ar alike were driven back from Chize, despite Thor's presence. We have news from the Formahout and Chize fronts, Mentor said. Go on. We are at a stalemate on Formahout, but we are unlikely to hold that line, Mentor continued. We have lost Chize. Heavy casualties. Damn, Captain America said. We're losing all of our momentum. The Builder Armada is still massive. Yes, the Magistore nodded, his expression grim. So we have no choice any longer, do we? We face diminishing probabilities, Mentor replied. If we wait much longer, it will not matter. So are you going to do it? Captain Marvel asked. What choice do we have, Carol? The enemy of my enemy. Cap spoke to Mentor. Send the word. Open the gates of hell. The Shi'ar nodded. We need to signal the advanced team to power up the linked stargates. Are the emergency beacons prepared to be activated? Yes, sir. The communications officer said. Then proceed. Open the gateway to the negative zone. Release the annihilation wave. And Shar and Kaithri save us all. How desperate have we become that Annihilus is one of our last hopes? The Annihilation Wave was Annihilus's greatest weapon against a universe that had offended him time and again. A fleet of planetoid-sized warships and the planet-destroying Harvester of Sorrow. It had poured from the negative zone and raged across the cosmos. Worlds fell, billions died, and the wave had nearly succeeded. Annihilus had destroyed enough of the known universe to be reviled by many of the very beings alongside whom he now fought. The deadly fleet came spilling through the stargates, overwhelming the first four builder ships. Thousands of insectoids designed to survive the harshest possible environments destroyed everything that got in their way. They are released, Annihilus announced. They have orders to kill all the builders. Yet as the council watched, still they were gripped by uncertainty. Annihilus had made it clear he could not control the wave. If the claim was true, then there was no telling what might happen once the enemy was defeated. And if he was lying, the outcome might be worse. Wait! Annihilus's image broke apart for a moment, and then coalesced again. Something is wrong. What could be wrong? The Magistor frowned and Mentor came to his side. They are breaking away from their projected path. The Builders? Gladiator asked. No, Magistor. The Annihilation Wave. They're on the projection. Annihilus screamed. Several forms amassed around him, insects from his vast collection of hatchlings. As they all watched, dumbstruck, the massive drones attempted to consume him. He hissed in outrage as he destroyed the things. Betrayed! I am betrayed! How is this possible? He disappeared from the screen. They're attacking each other, Mentor observed. Consuming each other. The Builders must have found a way to control them, as Annihilus could not. At the current rate of assault, the Annihilation Wave will be wiped out in a matter of minutes. True to his word, the insect army began to cannibalize itself, 
The annihilation wave's ships launched assaults against one another, even as the builders continued on with minimal losses. Before long, it was over. That was truly our last hope. Gladiator stared at the screen. Our final effort. He turned his attention to Mentor. Summon my son. Rally all the super-guardians, the sub-guardians, Magistor. No, not Magistor. I will die as I lived, as gladiator, traitor of the Imperial Guard. This is the end, my friend. Unless saved by some unforeseen miracle, we die. And I would face it head on. Elsewhere aboard the same vessel, the gardeners collected to look upon their god. Captain Universe lay in her medical pod and did not move. She remained in her slumber, and the pod monitored her vitals. She was only a human, after all. Yet she was so much more. It's all mathematics, Ex Nihilo said. A miracle, to be sure, but only probabilities. Various races have different definitions. Abyss nodded. The Shi'ar on this vessel have defined it as the whole cipher, an event happening once in every one hundred million microcycles. The Strontian's fifth maxim marks it as one in fifty million. The humans, by Littlewood's law, say a miracle happens once every million seconds. He looked at his sister. We know better. We have seen more, experienced more, and we know the odds are more in the order of a billion to one against. Have you ever wondered why that is so? Though the question was rhetorical, Abyss answered. We also know, for a fact, that this is the rate at which life occurs on suitable worlds, she said. That the average sentient world in this universe was designed to hold roughly two billion inhabitants, and that all of my kind were killed off by the builders. What are the odds of one abyssal surviving? What are the odds of a person finding their perfect other? Does that not qualify... As a miracle? Enough. He smiled at his sister. We could discuss probabilities for days on end, and have often done so. All around us, the universe is dying. He spoke to the others of his kind, who looked upon the body of a dying god. How can we watch and do nothing? Are we not ex nihili? Are we not life itself? He reached out with his hands, and slowly the others joined him. They understood his words, but more important, they understood what he planned. Brothers, sisters, the beings we have shaped and guided say they need a miracle. They are right. We need a miracle. We need life. The light that came from him was the same golden color as his skin, and it grew as the others joined hands, that light spilled forth and was directed. For the first time in days, the body in the medical pod moved. Her eyes burst open, and the same golden light flared from them. She breathed deeply. <sighs> Captain Universe awoke and found herself surrounded by the devoted. The ex nihili looked upon their work and found it good. Abyss reached out with her mind and touched the universe. The shape of the figure was human. 
the mind inside that fragile form, was something very different indeed. Tamara Devu had not been a well woman. She had known she would die in time. When the builders attacked Galador, it seemed as if that time had come, that Captain Universe would reach her end. Then she awoke, surrounded by many of the ones she had created, ones who gave life. I was asleep, she said to Abyss. I remember a light, and then a crash, shaking, violence, and then nothing. Her head wrapped once again in a darkness that reflected the stars. She floated above the pod that very nearly was her coffin. A day is coming soon when I will close my eyes forever, she continued. But not yet. No, Abyss agreed. Not yet, Mother. Your first children have become unruly. Oh. Yes, the mother said. I see. Behind her, the Shi'ar and their allies amassed their forces, and the Avengers joined them, prepared to die. Ahead of her lay the Builders. There was no warning as a portal opened up in the middle of the Builder command ship. Out of it floated a being, a life force, they once had worshipped. The creator, in charge of the vessel, stared at her with undisguised malevolence. Impossible, it spat. For more than a million years, no one had seen such a manifestation. Hello. The mother looked upon her children. Alas, kill her. The creator pointed. Programmed always to obey, the Alephs powered up their weapons. Captain Universe looked upon them and found them wanting. She lifted a hand, fingers splayed, and destroyed them in an instant. Bursts of white energy flared, and then they were gone. Why do you do this? She asked their master with calm curiosity. When did death become your way? Even after you stopped worshipping me and left my side, you revered life. Why this? Because the universe is dying, the creator said, his eyes flashing blood red. You are dying. She smiled behind the mask covering her face. It was a sad smile, but it was there just the same. I know. The creator looked at his brethren and then back at her. All of the universes are dying, he said. There is only one way to save this one. Destroy the Axis Point, and perhaps save them all. Yes, but you are going to be too late, she said. And even if you weren't, I still would not let you continue what you are doing. Why? The creator raged. Energy burned behind those eyes and crackled across the body. Because I have lost something. As if in response to that anger, she let the mask that covered her face fade away, and her expression was stern. When she spoke, it was with the voice of a mother warning her child against a foolish action. There was memory there, too, of speaking to a different child. It wasn't the memory of the universe, but of the host. 
The creator shook with suppressed fury. Your cause is no longer ours. We will not stop. It moved closer, hands clenched in anger, eyes burning with indignation. The mandibles scratched and clicked. And I do not believe you are going to stop us, are you, mother? Had ever any single word become so contemptuous? Had ever any child so desperately demanded to be punished? All she had given to the builders, all she had taught them when they started their journeys, and this was what they had become? The mantle of the universe once more covered her face. The creator had lived for hundreds of thousands of years. Captain Universe had been around, oh, so much longer. And she would not tolerate this. She pointed, and the creator's head and torso exploded. Behind him, several other creators and engineers tensed, looking at what she had done. The universe spoke softly to them. He will build no more. She looked at each of them, taking the time to let them understand the gravity of her words. Will you? The next of the creators looked to his brethren. Kill her. As one, they reached for her. Their hands glowed white-hot, drawing forth the power to destroy. They had been left alone too long. They had lost their way. It was a sad thing. But the universe had experienced this sort of process countless times. Again, she pointed, and all around her the builders died, their atoms scattered. Only one managed to survive. It protected itself, creating an energy globe rather than trying to destroy her. It peered at her from its supposed vantage point of safety. You destroyed us all, it said. If I retreat, it is to the safety of another universe. What you have done changes nothing. It will continue. The universe looked upon her child and said nothing. If not here, somewhere else the creator continued. Somewhere beyond the superflow. But I leave you a gift, mother. The creator breached the walls of the universe and shifted slowly to somewhere else, beyond her reach. Here she was all. There were others like her in their own places, and she did not go to where they existed. They were a part of the whole, as she was a part of the whole but they were not meant to meet. Declarative, receiving black band command from the builders, the Aleph said. Declarative, victory unachievable. Declarative, the code is lost. Wherever the builders had conquered, and wherever they still fought, the message was the same. Declarative, erasure protocols enacted. Declarative, self-destruct all systems. As one, the Aleph's received the command, and they acted upon it. Declarative, destroy everything. Declarative, destroy everything. Captain America stood still on the command deck of the Livandra. The gathered Imperial Guard were listening to their praetor, preparing for a final battle to save all they loved, all they believed in, when Ex Nihilo joined them. Excuse me. Gladiator stopped speaking. As one, the gathered assembly turned to stare at him. I am very sorry to interrupt, the gardener said. I thought you should know your miracle has occurred. What do you mean? 
Captain Marvel was quicker on the draw than Captain America. It was the very question he'd meant to ask. You asked for a miracle, and we have arranged one, he said. The being you call Captain Universe is now awake and has gone to discipline her children. That is, she confronts the builders. What do you mean? Captain Marvel asked him again. When the builders first came to exist, they worshipped the universe and life. That was the way they were meant to be. The mother has gone home to discipline her children. They have lost their way, you see, and if they do not find it, she will find it for them. At that precise moment, the builder's command vessel exploded into a massive ball of flame. The image appeared on the screen as the local satellites documented the explosion and reported it back via the Omnicast. There. Ex Nihilo nodded. Just so. I believe she has meted out her punishment. Gladiator looked to the golden-skinned gardener. Are you saying the war is over? Ex Nihilo shook his head. No, not at all. Only that the builders themselves are, well, are over. Unless Mother was able to end them all simultaneously, it is most likely they will send out commands for the Alephs, if they haven't already. He frowned. The builders are nothing if not spiteful. I see that now. They will seek to destroy everything. I think you might yet be in for a war. Seriously? Is this a win? Danvers asked Captain America. I'm going to put it in that category, Carol, he replied. Not the win, but a big win. Then we must take advantage of the moment, Gladiator said. He looked to his troops. We have a war to fight. Let's finish it. Chapter 26 On Earth As It Is in Heaven Dr. Strange stared down into the hidden valley where Orolon lay in secrecy and located the man for whom Thanos scoured the stars. I found him, he said. Good, the Ebony Maw responded. The entity that served Thanos moved from the darkness of Dr. Strange's cloak. He had hidden there, locked in shadows, an unobserved passenger. That is excellent news, I am pleased, Stephen. The ebony maw smiled and moved his fingers through Strange's mind, sliding barriers into place that would hide what he had done. I'm going to let you leave now. I'm going to let you live. He stepped away from the man he possessed and looked over the side of the cliff, down into the valley of the lore. I think it would have been better for you, however, if I had slit your throat. Now you carry, somewhere in the back of your mind, awareness of what you have done. I can feel your mind fighting you even now. I can feel you fighting with the dread of your sins, of what you have given me, even if you are not conscious of that fact. No. Stephen Strange shook his head. Clarity began to return. There's been an incursion into the realm. This world will collide with others. The world will end. Absurd, the Ebony Maw replied. There was nothing left for your world except the short season of Thanos. Stop imagining otherwise. Very soon my master will himself give you your apocalypse. He is here, and the end is coming soon enough. 
He reached again into the mind of Stephen Strange, a man who saw and understood more than most. The sorcerer's eyes again lost their focus, and he looked down at a city he could no longer see. Now leave this place, Dr. Strange. Savor what life you have left. We will not see each other again. As Strange departed, frustrated his search for the son of Thanos had ended in failure, he received a summons from the Illuminati. This call came from a location in Australia, but not Perth, where the builders had caused so much damage. The call came from a place called the Twelve Apostles, he discovered with a hint of irony. When he arrived, he saw what had prompted his associates. A breach between universes. The clouds bled red, and the Earth's surface was easier to see in the skies above. It wasn't a reflection, however. It was a different Earth. Billions of humans existed on that planet. They went about their lives unaware of what was coming. That would change soon enough. Once, in years past, the area off the shores of Victoria, Australia, had been home to twelve massive limestone columns— when explorers first found the place, they named it the Twelve Apostles. Since then, four of the stone goliaths had collapsed into the sea. It was still a tourist site. It was also where Reed Richards had gone in an effort to find the son of Thanos. Instead, he found something that made it likely the other eight apostles would soon find their way into the sea. Reed Richards wasn't like other people. He had seen more than most could imagine— Every time he encountered something new, he studied it with the fervor of a committed scientist. Reed considered virtually everything as an opportunity to expand the scope of human knowledge. He saw, he considered, and he called the rest of the Illuminati. Black Bolt did not respond, and Richards assumed his one-time ally was too busy with the precarious state of affairs in Adelon. The rest responded, as he had been certain they would. The last to arrive was Stephen Strange. Above them. The sky bled crimson and reflected back what should not have existed. Here we are again, Stark said, his head tilted back. Yes, McCoy said. Alone at the end of the world. I thought you'd found the boy, Neymar growled. This is actually worse. Notice the air pressure, Richards said, sounding matter-of-fact. That's a physical manifestation, proving it's not an illusion we're experiencing. This is a genuine rift between dimensions. For the moment, they seem to be staying separate, but if the pressure increases, and we have to assume it will, it's only a matter of time before the membrane that separates them breaks. When that happens, it won't be a pleasant experience, gentlemen. Stark turned. Your ability to understate a situation borders on the terrifying, Reed. And what do we do about it? T'Challa asked. Is it not bad enough? Our world is at war? Do we now have to decide the fate of two worlds? Of two entire universes? So let's get to it, Stark said. Three satellites are being redirected to scan this area, and the data will be fed directly into my armor. Give me a few minutes, gentlemen, and we'll know what's going on. What is there to know? Neymar spat. Our world is under attack by Thanos, and the barriers between worlds are in the process of collapsing. A deep growl issued from deep within his chest. What does not kill us will leave us crippled beyond the ability to recover, just in time for our other conundrum to ruin us. Heaven knows we have a lot of weaponry available to us, much of it too dangerous to use in a normal situation. 
Hank McCoy shook his head. Normal being a very relative term here. We might try focused antimatter, Stark suggested. It's not something we can use in normal combat, because we'd just as likely destroy anything we were trying to defend, but in this case, we might pull off a clean strike. Reed shook his head vehemently. There's nothing clean about it. We're talking about an antimatter projection system that would wipe out an entire planet, a planet that is very likely occupied. Yes, but given a choice between our world and the Earth from another dimension, I prefer we keep this one, Namer said. And they may feel the same, the beast responded, pointing to the sky. For all we know, they've got a very similar device they are contemplating pointing in our direction. It was as soft-spoken as ever, but he made his point. So that brings us back to the same question, the Black Panther said. What do we do about it? Wait, look. Stark pointed toward the distorted image that filled the sky above them. There, something approaching from the other Earth. Just tell me it isn't a missile. Hank's voice lost a bit of its composure. The object landed hard, sending up a cloud of debris and a flash of light that obscured all vision. Slowly, a humanoid figure emerged, at first bent over, then rising to its all-too-familiar full height, Sand around the thing was fused into glass. It can't be, Stark said. Declarative. Greetings, human types. It held up a hand, palm forward, and looked at each of them. Query. Consideration of an overture? What are you? Reed looked at it and frowned. What do you want? I know this thing, Reed, Iron Man said and his usual mechanical voice had a sharp edge to it. That thing is in the left. There's nothing I can say that'll make me trust it. There's nothing I can offer that we want. Declarative. Come with me. It looked directly at Iron Man. Declarative. My master would like you to watch us destroy a world. Wakanda fought on. The warriors of the high-tech nation stood their ground, and the Golden City remained unbreached, the walls of defensive shields held against attack after attack, until Corvus Glaive decided a different tactic was in order. First, he sent an entire wing of ships that caused the Wakandans to spread their forces too widely. Then they focused all of their assaults on one small area, sustaining heavy casualties, but concentrating their fire to weaken its defenses. Inevitably, the barrier stressed, cracked, and fell. Then they sent the troops. A lot of troops. You have succeeded, Corvus. Supergiant studied the damage. Will it be enough? It was Proxima Midnight who answered. Of course it will, Supergiant. Have you read this planet's history of warfare? Alexander the Great, the Napoleon, the Caesar, the Khan? They are but a pittance. Corvus is the great tactician, the greatest general this planet has ever seen. And yet each day the sun sets, and I am defeated by you he said to his wife. One clawed hand delicately caressed her cheek. Then he continued. We must fight our way through the breach, open the way for our armies. What would please you, Proxima, to witness the breaking or to lead the way into the center of it all? She looked upon the home of the enemy. I want to kill them all so badly. Then a gift for you, my love. The first blood shed within the walls of the Golden City. 
will be yours to draw. True to her word, Proxima Midnight led the charge. Immediately, they were met by fierce opposition as Wakandans hurled themselves at the invaders, wielding some weapons that were surprisingly advanced and others that were astonishingly primitive. All were effective. Waves of blood stained the ground. Seconds after the breach, the Hatut Zaraze, the war dogs, were released. The fighters were among the elite of the Wakandan military, trained extensively in espionage, combat, and advanced warfare. Where the Dora Milaje served as bodyguards to the Queen, the war dogs served as frontline warriors. They drove forward into the enemy and brought shock troops with them. Surely, the Black Panther, the Queen, did not shirk her responsibilities. She fought with her people, and she moved with all the speed and grace of a genuine warrior. Hold them! she cried out. Hold this position! We cannot let their army into the city! Is that so? The first through the broken barrier, a woman with black horns and hair that matched her blue skin, smiled coldly. I am Proxima Midnight. Am I not already within your city walls? Then the city is as good as mine, for I am an army unto myself. She hurled a spear that ripped through the advanced armor of three of the war dogs and stopped just short of the queen. Shuri watched in a combination of horror and fury. No, no more. She hurled her own spear and watched as it drove through the blue woman's shoulder, through armor and flesh and bone. To her great pleasure, the woman's blood was bright red. Well struck, my queen, a soldier enthused. He was entirely cased in body armor, so she couldn't see his expression. We've won nothing, Shuri said. See? Her opponent did not seem at all impressed by the wound she had inflicted. A stick with a pointy metal end. You must be joking, child. Proxima pulled the spear from her body with one hand, taking meat, spilling blood, and still she did not so much as flinch. Then she hefted another spear of her own. It glowed with a purple energy. Let me show you something sharper. The spear sped straight for Shuri, and she was certain she was dead. Protect the queen! One of the Hatut Zarazi called out, already in motion. Protect the queen! She stepped directly into the weapon's path and was impaled. Another warrior pulled Shuri behind an energy shield that was held by yet a third. Get behind! The soldier holding the shield said. Then an energy discharge pierced it and struck him, killing him instantly. My queen, reinforcement should be here soon. We should... No, Shuri said. Tell them to fall back. We have lost the wall. We have to regroup within the city. Tell them we'll rally at the Great Hall. Even as she issued the orders, she scanned the field of battle. The alien followers of Thanos and his generals continued their offensive. With each shot they fired, another Wakandan soldier fell lifeless. They were merciless, and they were brutally efficient. The defenders retreated as their queen ordered. It was an orderly withdrawal, not a rout. Again, Proxima Midnight was impressed. The soldiers left behind were killed quickly, all save one, who was dragged before her. She pulled the white mask from the warrior's face and spoke calmly, looking down on the man. Where do they keep the gem, little one? He tried to resist, but it was not an option. He did not want to speak, but had no choice in the matter. She may as well have read from his mind as if it were a book. I know of no gem, 
he replied. And then he spat blood. She nodded. There was no surprise in that answer. One did not share the location of a godhood with just anyone. Where does the Black Panther call home? He lives in the ca castle. His voice began to drift, as if he were talking in his sleep. In fact, he was, though he was still semi-conscious. No, not the female panther. The man. Where does he live? It is the city of the dead, he replied, and all resistance ended. The necropolis to the west of the golden city. Good. Proxima Midnight smiled, and she turned to a soldier. Signal the ship. Tell Thanos of our success. She impaled the Wakandan warrior. Chapter 27 The Harbinger Oh, my stars and carters, Henry McCoy said. They traveled in a sphere of atmosphere suspended between two of the Alephs. The ship they approached was of a scale they could barely comprehend— it seemed at first almost as if they might be traveling to an artificial world. Seeing the moon on the other side of the massive construct helped with perspective, but only a little. They docked with the vessel and moved through an airlock. In a seemingly unending string of bad choices, this one, I think, has the potential to be our worst. Namer said, as they proceeded down a corridor, here the design was more conventional, with sharp angles and metal details. Let's just keep an eye on the clock, Namer, Iron Man said. Regardless of how this goes, time is our real enemy here. Hank nodded. Yes, six hours, six hours for the incursion, six hours to save our world. He looked at a time display on his wrist as he spoke. One foot in front of the other. T'Challa cautioned them. Remember what we have at the necropolis. Another Aleph stood before him, and it held out a hand for him to stop. What are declarative, scanning for anomalies, declarative, safety and security for our masters. There was a pause as it studied them, hidden systems examining each of them for possible weapons. Declarative, clear, declarative, proceed inside. The panther found it strange they weren't alarmed by Stark's armor, and wondered whether they thought it too primitive to be a threat. Whatever the reason, they were allowed to proceed. Twin doors slid open. The first things to draw T'Challa's eyes were two creatures that looked similar to the gardeners, yet very different. They were bright red. One had horns spread across the top of its skull, almost like feathers with a crest. The other, who appeared to be a female, had twin horns that arched behind its head. There were also two insect-like humanoids. One of them spread its arms in greeting. Please do the honor of joining us. It said, We have much to discuss, and the end of a world to see. When the Avengers didn't reply, it continued. Do you know what I am? Well, Iron Man said, They look like Ex Nihili. Gesturing beyond the red-skinned aliens to a mechanical humanoid, he added, That is definitely an Aleph, 
Last time I encountered one, it was trying to destroy all life on my planet. He turned his attention to the speaker. You're a builder, aren't you? Yes, a creator. It nodded, and then indicated a slightly different-looking insect-faced creature. And this is an engineer. We are part of the Builder Collective. He stepped closer. I asked the Olive to observe Earth, the incursion point between our two universes, hoping that some type of evolved product of species would manifest there. He did not disappoint. That explains it, Stark thought. The other Earth. But time grows short, the creator continued. So I will not wait. Excuse me, Builder. One of the red-skinned gardeners spoke up, stepping closer to the newcomers, and Stephen Strange in particular. Yes, Ex Nihili? A problem. He placed a hand on Strange's shoulder. What is it? The sorcerer began. Before he could finish, the red-skinned male thrust its other hand into Strange's skull. Energy danced around the point of entry, and a wave of agony passed over Strange's face. He reached for the thing's arm. Before anyone could react, the gardener withdrew its hand. It grasped a spidery thing that wavered, half in and half out of reality. One second it appeared to be a collection of limbs, the consistency of smoke, and the next, a bulbous, eight-limbed creature the length of a human forearm. The thing spoke in whispers. A hidden inhuman tribe. The gem is lost, located in the great southern crevice of Greenland. All these men are liars and kings. The son of Thanos is in Oralan. Dr. Strange fell forward, and the panther caught him. Oh, a mind whip, the creator said, as the spider-like thing dissolved into dust. The infectious networked remnants of a whisperer, artifacting left over from a possession. He spoke to Dr. Strange. The effects will pass. Then he turned to the rest. There are no whisperers in this dimension, but in the past we have studied them in yours. Excuse me, the beast said, and T'Challa could tell how hard it had been for him to hold back his questions. I have to ask, where are you from? You know about this thing. Does that mean your species began in our universe? Where anyone begins is inconsequential, the creator answered. It's where you end up that matters. For us, it was the entire multiverse. Was? T'Challa said. Yes, the creator said. A very short time ago, we moved freely from universe to universe, accessing each from the other space that existed between them, what we called the superflow. But all of that has collapsed, destroyed, the superflow fractured, and it can no longer be navigated safely. Iron Man and Reed Richards both moved closer, listening intently to every word. It was one of the reasons Stark got along so well with the man. They both heard the details few others would have noticed. This is the harbinger of the end of everything, their host continued, which is something my people have pledged to prevent, which is why we are speaking here and now. A group of entities such as yourself have defeated the builders that exist in your universe. How can you know that? Reed asked. 
especially considering you no longer have the access to what you profess to possess, Namor added. The creator gestured. Bring it in. Two Alephs dragged a badly injured figure into the room. It babbled and moaned and made sounds, but none of them made any sense to Tony, or any of the translation software in his armor. Their host looked down at the ruined, bleeding thing. This failed, dying creature is a builder, useless and done. The damage it incurred is too great for us to repair. It escaped here, from your universe. From ours? Neymar looked dubious. That seems an amazing coincidence. The creator just stared at him. When lost at sea, swimming for the nearest island is not good fortune, human. It is a matter of proximity. Do I need to point out how close our two realities currently are? Neymar conceded the argument with a nod. Shall we get to the point of this conversation? The creator pressed. The gardeners gestured without warning, and an individual bubble of pressurized atmosphere surrounded each of the Illuminati. Reed Richards touched the field that surrounded him, his fingers stretching to caress the surface. What is this? he asked. For your safety, of course, the creator said, its words coming through clearly. This vessel is a world killer. Its purpose is exactly what its name suggests, and its cause is virtuous. You must know by now that the Earth is the access point for the death of everything. There was no emotion in the words. You also must know what conclusion has to be drawn from that fact. No, that's not true. Reed's argument came clearly into each bubble. He was only slightly less calm than usual. The cascading effect from other dying universes is increasing. The rate of all things dying. Eliminating a single Earth is like comparing a pebble to a planet. You're thinking too small. The creator moved closer to Reed Richards and touched the bubble surrounding him. Oh, I agree with you, it said. Incrementalism is a waste of time. But what if we killed all of the Earths? All of them. We believe that action could very well save everything. And if not save it, then at least prolong it, preserving a more natural end to our existence. It gestured. Assisted by the Alephs, the gardeners, technically ex nihili, Stark supposed, shepherded them back out into the vacuum of space. The Earthers were propelled again through the incursion point and deposited back at the Twelve Apostles, their bubbles dissolved. The rift between universes still hung crimson in the sky. As they watched, the world killer positioned itself over the other Earth. The Creator's words continued to reach them, echoing in their minds. Our planet killer is too large to move through the incursion point. We cannot move toward your Earth, and you have done us the disservice of eliminating our counterparts in your universe. So I must ask you, do you have the capability to destroy your own world? Reed Richards considered the question. Yes, we do. Seen in the bloodied skies above the Twelve Apostles, a burst of energy came from the ship, and it lived up to its name. The earth exploded, bursting into a fiery sphere of ruin that expanded and cast shattered remnants far into space. The barrier between the universes was still strong enough that nothing from that Armageddon made it through. The voice of the Creator continued. If you possess the ability, then what are you waiting for? 
Chapter 28 Avengers Throughout the universe, sentience watched and understood that the tides of war had changed. On the thousands of worlds the builders had invaded, the message resonated. Rise and tear down the builders. Fight and reclaim your world. Believe, and it can be done, for you have seen it with your own eyes. News rapidly spread beyond Hala. The warriors of the Kree Empire took up their weapons once again and called for blood and vengeance. The cost was high. The Alephs were designed to adapt, and the machines readied themselves for war as soon as the Builder's last command was issued. Yet as strong as the Alephs were, the Kree were angry, and they hungered for revenge against the aggressors who had stolen their worlds from them and slaughtered their kind. The Skrulls, who had suffered so much, rose up, calling for the deaths of their enemies and the destruction of their toy soldiers. The Shi'ar and the Avengers took back world after world. Even so, the Builders' great ships continued on without their creators, run by machines that fought with tireless efficiency. They did their best to destroy everything, and their best was impressive. What they lacked, however, was military skill. They had never faced opposition of the sort that rose before them now. The Shi'ar, the Kree, the Skrulls, and all the races represented by the Galactic Council possessed far more experience in warfare, and so did the man who led many of the discussions on strategy. Steve Rogers, Captain America. The Avengers fought in the thick of it. Thor brought the wrath of the gods upon the Alephs, and Hyperion joined with the star-faring Imperial Guard. Nightmask and Starbrand laid waste to ships that dared to attack planets, and the Council's fleet of vessels did what had once seemed impossible. They crushed the Builder's armada. On Dockroom 7, the Hulk crushed the last of the Alephs into scrap and grinned as he did it. Captain America watched with shock as the people of the planet lifted an icon made of the metal scrap. It was one he knew well. An Avengers A. Oracle of the Shi'ar stood alongside him, and she smiled at his quiet surprise. Did you think no one had noticed, Captain? Noticed? Noticed what? This war was not won by an empire, Captain. Not the Shi'ar or the Kree or any of the others. The council that broke before the end did not win it. She, too, peered at the symbol. No, every time there was a shift in power and fortune, the Avengers were present— it was you Earthers, your warriors, that won the day. We all fought together, Oracle. That is true, but you held it, Behemoth. You turned the world killers against their masters over Hala, and then you broke the enemy with a single man and a hammer that was thrown around the sun. We rallied to you, good captain. We rallied to your standard. Darkroom Seven is free again, and it is an Avenger's world. Silently, he considered that. Such a massive concept. The words were not carved in stone, nor were they inscribed on a scroll for all to see. No one read them out loud in front of the Galactic Council, yet that didn't make them any less true. The Builders and their forces had been defeated on world after world. Each planet had its storied heroes, some of whom remained unnamed, but all fought under the same banner. Following Oracle's logic, Chimer was an Avenger's world. Centauri Prime was an Avenger's world. At the end, it seemed to him as if they were all Avengers' worlds. The Avengers had won the day. How long can this feeling last? He wondered. Two days after the victory on Dockroom 7, 
Steve Rogers rested on a field littered with the remnants of combat, weary from what had seemed like the endless process of cleanup. Both of the Avengers' Quinn cruisers had been destroyed early in the conflict, and they were waiting on word about a possible ride home. The wait was longer than he had expected. Captain America was a soldier. The phrase, hurry up and wait, was one he knew all too well. Some things never changed, and that was especially true of bureaucracy. Thor, at least, had found a way to endure the wait. He approached, carrying two bottles. There's a local fare, he said with the sort of grin only he could manage. They say it is too hearty, much too potent for a simple human. If possible, the grin widened as he handed over a bottle. I told them they don't know Steve Rogers. He held up his bottle. To the victors. Cap clinked his bottle against the one Thor held. Without hesitation, the Thunder God lifted his drink, tilted back his head, and emptied the container. Uh-huh, Cap said warily. What's the worst that could happen? I end up in the hospital? He took a drink. And it was like liquid fire. Cough! Burns a bit. I spoke with Gladiator, Thor said, placing a hand on his comrade's shoulder. He's more than happy to provide us a vessel for the voyage home. As he spoke, the Shi'ar leader approached across the ruined landscape. Speak of the devil, Rogers smiled. What brings you planetside, Magistor? Here to join the festivities? I wish it were so, my friend. Gladiator's voice was somber enough to take the smile from his face. The universal net has been reestablished, and we are finally able to communicate with other systems. What does... I'm sorry, Captain, Gladiator said before he could continue. But I bring grave news about your world. The Earth has fallen. 